0: It's time. A top-ranking Southern Baptist Convention official who is a prominent critic of former President Trump announced on Monday he was resigning from his position after eight years. Russell Moore, president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission for the SBC, announced his resignation on this website and said he would be joining Christianity Today magazine to be the director of his public theology project. Moore said, quote, I struggle with this decision because my gratitude for the honor of serving the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission is so deep as I conclude my time serving Southern Baptists as ERS. LC President, I am filled with gratitude as well as excitement for the future. Well, that droll report was from The Hill, which is a publication that's best known on the Hill in in Washington D.C. Nevertheless, it uh, tells the story in part, uh, and that's not a new story. And you may be wondering why I'm talking about it today. I'm talking about it because Russell Moore's dramatic departure from the Southern Baptist Convention as the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission was so effective that it has caused uh, the SBC to be really in deep trouble. Uh, 20% of its board members are gone. The executive committee is uh, resigning left and right. And uh, the SBC really is in terrible trouble because of all the implications, which by the time we finish talking, you will understand. Well... I've talked about Russell Moore at this microphone many times, and I can just start by saying uh, I'm not a fan, okay? I'll tell you why. Maybe you'll understand a little bit later. But rather than do that, I want to give you some background. I, have, I think I've told most of you that I was raised Southern Baptist. My parents were not Christians when I was young. They came to Christ through the ministry of Christians who were Southern Baptists. It was a dramatic conversion, changed my home. And I grew up uh, and became to Christ myself uh, during a revival uh, when I was nine years old. wasn't at the revival, but hearing the preaching, uh, and it radically changed my life. God's hand has been on me just strongly since that moment. I I could tell you about it, but I won't stop to do that. But it was all in a Southern Baptist church when I was a kid. So I I also then later went to a Southern Baptist university in Oklahoma. So I know something about it. I left the Southern Baptist church when I was about 24 and um, didn't return until just a few years ago. So there's a huge gap in my knowledge. And so I want to just lay that out. I also want to say, A lot of you, of course, the Southern Baptist Church uh, is the largest evangelical denomination in in the country, and it's wielded tremendous influence. Uh, But the reason I want to—and that's one of the reasons I want to talk about what's happened to the SBC and what is happening. Many of you are Southern Baptists, but many of you aren't. Uh, But the reason why it's important is because we are all connected in this world of Christ followers. And when the largest denomination, uh, evangelical denomination, begins to struggle and teeter and maybe even fall, it is a very big deal, and we need to talk about it. So as best we can, I'm going to try to uh, unpack uh, sort of what's taken place here. And in many ways, it will parallel what's happened in many denominations. I would say that in the Southern Baptist Church, in the 70s and 80s, uh, they became kind of a a political powerhouse. There's just no question about it. Uh, they rose to the occasion, and they rallied to save lives. They rallied to fight uh, the, the, the burgeoning development of the radical LGBT movement. They fought back with a vengeance. They were a, an awesome force, uh, and uh, they supported Ronald Reagan and all kinds of things. And so uh, Southern Baptists really did, in part, become known as political activists. That's true, but that was just, in part— and so, um, along comes uh, a few a decade or so ago. young comes a, a young uh, person who was a bright seminary student, and he was a protege of Al Mohler, who was the uh, president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, I didn't say that the Southern Baptist Convention has gone through a couple of uh, earthquake shakings where they became quite liberal, and uh, there was a takeover of conservatives. They're always political, you know. Things are political even in churches. You know that because people are people politics is about people. And so uh, this was, uh, the Southern Baptist Church had had a resurgence of conservative, meaning passionate commitment to scripture, to moral issues. Uh, And then in the 90s, I believe it was the 90s, this young seminarian who was very impressive, well-spoken, was taken under the wing of Al Muller, who was the president of Southern Seminary. Southern Seminary, by the way, had become one of the worst in my time, was the most liberal left seminary uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention. I think that Robert Mueller, Robert Mueller, that's a different corrupt organization. Al Mueller um, brought it back uh, to more centered on biblical policies, but that's a talk for another day. Many people wonder why in the world he mentored Russell Moore, and that question will become more understandable as we go along here. The first uh, entry I had to Russell Moore was he was he seemed to be embarrassed by the activism of that generation I just described. He was embarrassed by Christian radio, actually American Family Radio. He was embarrassed by some of the things we did and the way we did them. Uh, he became uh, an apologizer to the gay community. He uh, wanted kind of to go for a kinder, gentler approach to homosexuality and homosexual activism. He actually blamed. Christians in Southern Baptist churches for uh, making homosexuals feel unwelcome. And so uh, then he also apologized for um, the fire and brimstone preaching he claimed pastors had done in their hatred they had for the gay community. Could I just add a caveat that in all of my years sitting in a Southern Baptist church, I never once in my entire life and long history as a Southern Baptist heard a pastor preach a fire and brimstone sermon about homosexuality alone. I heard them preach about all sexual sins, but I'm just telling, I'm not saying it never happened, but personally, I never saw that. He must have seen and heard something I didn't hear. Also, he became an apologist, or he apologized to women uh, for their inability to lead in the Southern Baptist Convention. He also apologized to women for sexual abuse and mistreatment. And could I add a caveat here? It isn't that Russell Moore's concerns were all wrong. Uh, the, the complication with Russell Moore is that in the midst of what many things that sound right were many, many things that were absolutely wrong and off base. And it was has been very difficult to discern that. And I think that's part of the confusion with Russell Moore. He apologized uh, to black uh, uh, citizens for the racism of the Southern Baptist Convention uh, because he claimed they were racist, they were white supremacists. He became, as it were, the Barack Obama of the Southern Baptist Convention, apologizing to everyone for everything real or imagined. He was elevated to be the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, which is the commission based in Washington under the direction of the Southern, at least a companion, the name, the label of Southern Baptist. And uh, then he went about going around the country training young pastors on this new way, this embarrassment of how Southern Baptists of the past had politicized the gospel, which, by the way, that principle itself is something to be concerned about. We don't want the gospel of Jesus Christ to be polluted uh, by political involvement. That's always a caution for those of us that are active politically. So, again, some truth, but a lot of it's distortion. And so a whole generation of young pastors sprung sprung up as Russell Morites. It had tremendous effect. And... Um, The trouble was that as we got to know Russell, many people still don't know this, he was in his past a Democratic staffer for uh, a Democratic congressman who was an abortion, certainly believed in abortion. He was gay friendly. He was not a Reagan Democrat from the old South, uh, but a Democrat of the new era. And Russell Moore was his uh, staffer, which begs a lot of questions. And so it's interesting to me that in this uh, the guise of this noble pursuit of taking politics out of the identification with the gospel, he replaced what he called political issues like abortion and homosexual rights with issues that, well, just happened to be championed by the Democratic left, like social justice, like a comparisons of... Um, uh, over illegal immigration, in other words, throwing out law in favor of just the, the heart. We should be soft, allow people in. We shouldn't criticize law-breaking people who come into our country illegally. Uh, homosexuality had a new way of spinning that, a new way of viewing it. I don't want to get bogged down on that, but that was very troubling to me because that was a very a source of expertise because of my experience at Concerned Women for America. Our, at the, uh, our particular uh, staff were experts on this. Um, and so I was very upset with the details of how he presented that. It was distorted. Women's rights. He was all about women's rights. And so they just happened to be things that the uh, Democratic left were in favor of. So that was perfect uh, for him to hide behind uh, his concern, as he said, that we would be had become political and replace Southern Baptists with a new political front that just happened to comport with the Republic, the Democratic platform. And then, of course, came Donald Trump and uh, more went into hyperdrive. He accused Southern Baptist members of racism and white supremacy and misogyny and hatred and bigotry, of uh, hating blacks and hating homosexuals and mistreating both groups of people. Uh, And he loved to play to the media. The New York Times, The Washington Post, they loved Russell Moore. Those were his greatest audience. And so he won. He was on television, you know, uh, the the all shucks apologists for Southern Baptists and their horrible past. Uh, and then, of course, he demonized Trump supporters and muted pastors, more importantly, most importantly to me, on anything. He muted pastors on the moral issues of our day. And so um, recently, you heard the report in The Hill, recently Russell Moore resigned in a calculated, damning way. And I, we will make the case today of why that has left the SBC reeling and in danger of its very survival. Um, let me just point one thing out. The SBC has lost 20% of its board members, uh, and they've lost a number of their trustees. They've lost their legal counsel, the same attorney that was in a, a law firm that was supporting them for nearly 60 years. They've all resigned. What's that all about? Well, someone who knows it very well is Rod Martin. Roden is the founder and CEO of the Martin Organization. But he also has been for years on the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. And I, he recently, I think just about two days ago, uh, resigned himself from the executive committee. And I wanted him to join us because I know Rod and I trust his judgment. So, Rod, thanks for joining us this morning.
1: Thank you, Sandy. And uh, I strongly agree with everything you just said.
0: Well, I think uh, I'm I'm glad to hear that. Although well, if I'd gotten it wrong, I'd want you to correct me. But thank you for that. Uh, all right, when let's just go backwards, okay? Uh, backwards a little bit. What Russell Moore resigned with this huge long letter, uh, and he, basically he said uh, that the Southern Baptists and the people he works with want him to live and psychological terror. That's just one line of it. Talk about his letter, if you will. Let, us, let people know what he said.
1: Well, the psychological terror he is describing, of course, is that the executive committee had a task force to look into whether his liberal policies at the ERLC were affecting cooperative program gifts. <laughs> I mean, if, if you're terrified of that, I think you have problems that go beyond anything we can help you with. Uh, it, it, that's just ridiculous. There is no question that a lot of churches were actually withholding giving because of things Russell was doing and saying. And and you need to look no further than Jack Graham at Prestonwood in Dallas, which is one of the biggest churches in the United States, which on two separate occasions actually publicly withheld giving because of Russell. So so the task force existed to look into, is this a problem that we need to be concerned about? Is this just a handful of churches? Russell yeah. spun this as they're
0: terrorizing him. Terrorizing him. And Rod, we, course- I, have to, I have to interrupt you, and I apologize for that. I, I took up the whole segment kind of setting this up. Let's come back uh, with this letter and more of what he said, and then the fallout, and then the way many people think this was designed to do so much harm, which it has done. So let's talk about that when we return. Rod Martin is my guest. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
1: Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Your resignation letter landed like a rocket. It was leaked. I don't know who leaked it. I know that we've all read it. Do not deny that it is your words. It's blistering. It's absolutely blistering. You say that the presenting issue you said is not the former president. You say the presenting issue was the way the denomination itself or the leadership was dealing with sexual abuse, thing one. But you also say that you and your family face constant threats from white nationalists and white supremacists, including within the convention. Do you want to talk about that? Yes. Uh, Yes. Well, that wasn't a resignation letter. It was a, it was a letter that I had written to my board members. Just uh, they, they pray with me and, and uh, I was helping them to see some of the things that were going on. Yes. I mean, I think that um, there are very real issues within the the church in almost every uh, denomination or communion or setting right now, when it comes to these issues of racial justice and reconciliation and sexual abuse. I mean, I, I'm finding this as recently as just right before this, uh, this interview, uh, talking to a pastor who's combating this within the congregation, and it can be uh, exhausting, it can be demoralizing, uh, but it also means that there's an opportunity uh, for the people of God to do what's right.
0: Yes, I guess so. So psychological terror for his family, that was the question. It's interesting to me he never answered the question. He never gave—he says—I'll read you his words. He says, "Um, the other absolutely draining and unrelenting issue has been that of racial reconciliation. My family and I have faced constant threats from white nationalists and white supremacists, including within our convention. Some of them have been involved in neo-Confederate activities going back for years— some are involved with groups funded by white nationalist nativist organizations. Some of them have just expressed raw racist sentiment behind closed doors. They want to be, deflect the issue to arcane discussions that people do not understand, such as critical race theory. Uh, and, and he goes, So that's just one tiny little paragraph. Rod Martin is my guest, founder and CEO of the Martin Organization. We're talking about the resignation of Russell Moore and the resultant. Uh, really, damage done to the Southern Baptist Convention. Rod, did he ever? He's accused you guys of covering sex abuse. He's accused you of being racist, white supremacists. All of this, but I don't see proof. Is there proof? Does he have like a page of references and issues that he's actually accusing? I mean, we just touch the surface of his accusations.
1: Well, that would be the problem because. Russell doesn't accuse anybody of anything. Russell doesn't name names. Russell launches these broadsides that are intended to defame everybody everywhere and make himself out to be the victim. Again, as we said in the last segment, psychological terror from what exactly? From looking into why Jack Graham withheld funds from the ERLC, one of the biggest churches in the country, Think from the executive committee's perspective, that would be a good thing to understand and how many other churches are doing the same thing. This isn't terrorism. This is doing the executive committee's job. And when Russell says, oh, all these white nationalists are attacking me and you know sending death threats, okay, did you have the police look into that? Answer, no. When he says uh, there is a rape culture and and children are being raped, and I have personal knowledge of this, not only does he not say, say who he's talking about, but almost 21 months after he wrote those allegations down in a letter to his board chairman, he hasn't, though he is a mandatory reporter, picked up the phone and called the police with this knowledge he supposedly has. So either he's lying or he's a criminal, and there's no in-between. Either he has this knowledge of children being raped, as he says in his letter, or he doesn't. And if he does, he had to call the police. It's a requirement of the law. If he doesn't, then he's trying to lie the convention into suicidal activities. And, of course, that's what he's done, because... That's what disgruntled ex-employees do. He carpet-bombed the denomination on the way out the door. And by the way, he wasn't even one of us to start with. It is a detail that has been reported almost nowhere, but is true, that he immediately left his position at the convention to take a staff position as a pastor of a church that baptizes infants. So he wasn't even a real Southern Baptist when he was a leader of the Southern Baptists. This is all cover-up to make himself sell more books and look like the hero and look like the victim while he blows up the house he was previously living in.
0: You know what? I want to interject just a little bit more of his letter, and then we have lots more to talk about. But I want to give people just a really good idea. I want them to understand we're not exaggerating. This letter is just... It's almost like it needs a psychologist to... To understand it, he says uh, something reminded him of a quote from Whitaker Chambers, that's an ex-communist in the 50s, famous case, in a letter to his children about how he came to reject communism and to flee from the awful Soviet ideology. He referenced a woman talking about her father, who also had left Stalinism, and explained very simply, why very simply, one night in Moscow, he heard screams. That's all. Simply one night, he heard screams. I have heard many screams. So so Russell Moore is likening himself to Whitaker Chambers leaving Soviet ideology to leaving the <laughs> Southern Baptist <laughs> Convention because he's heard screams. That's how. That's just this letter. Then he writes this poem. I did not even ride. I didn't get a chance to check on who this poet was. Did you? I'm sorry to throw that at you without asking you first, but it's Wendell Berry. This long poem he quotes in the letter, which is just an odd letter. It's as though you have done nothing shameful, they will want you to be ashamed. They will want you to kneel and weep and say that you should have been like them. That's part of it. That's just the whole thing is just like an embittered, I just don't understand it. It doesn't. I just don't understand it. It just sounds like a pathology to me, but I'm talking too much. All right, so here's the thing about the letter. This is a letter that he wrote a long time ago. So explain that and why many people, including a whistleblower named John Whitehead, who was on the—he uh, was part of the trustees uh, and, a, I guess, a friendly to Russell Moore, uh, has kind of come out saying, something's wrong here. Can you talk about that?
1: Well, yes. It, the letter, of course, was allegedly leaked two weeks before the Southern Baptist Convention. And it's very dramatic. It's filled with all of these salacious allegations that don't have any facts attached to them at all. And it was all aimed at retribution at the executive committee, because the executive committee was looking into, as I said, whether the ERLC's actions, Democrat partisan actions were costing cooperative program giving money. And, and so so in response to that, after most of his staff had quit in terror that we're going to shut down the ERLC, and now Russell quits, you know he, he launches these broadsides for the purpose of going after what he perceives as his political enemy. So one of those is Mike Stone, who was running for president of the convention. Uh, out of 16,000-plus votes cast, Mike lost the presidency by about 300 votes, uh, two weeks after this letter dropped, accusing him of being a sex abuser. So you can imagine how that election probably would have gone had Russell not done this. Uh, and by the Ron, way, Mike's, Mike Ford, Stone
0: is suing him. Mike Stone is suing him for defamation, isn't he?
1: He is, because the letter is completely defamatory. I mean, it is it is off the chart. Most defamation suits lose. If Mike Stone's doesn't win, I will be shocked and it has had a meaningful impact on Stone's life far beyond any issues of election. So I- anyway, uh, you know, his enemy number two of course was Ronnie Floyd who's president of the executive committee until literally two days ago, because Ronnie has now resigned and, and, you know, his senior staff members have resigned. As you said, over 20% of the executive committee have resigned. And you ask, well, why are they resigning if, if, you know they're not guilty and they aren't but they're resigning because of the liability created by what russell engineered russell and his friend rachel den hollander talked to these people into offering a motion at the annual meeting calling for a, a sex abuse investigation well okay that's fine i don't have an issue with that if we have sex abuse anywhere in the, in the executive committee or in, in the Southern Baptist Convention as a whole, I want to know it. I want to string those people up by their toenails myself. That's fine. But what the motion specifically did was it demanded certain acts that contravened the fiduciary and legal duties of the executive committee in a way that will cost not just the executive committee but the Southern Baptist Convention It's liability insurance. Now, I don't believe that wasn't by design. I can't prove that Russell Moore engineered that personally, but I'm pretty sure he did. Because, again, it's an attack on the thing. The whole letter was an attack on the thing for the purpose of harming people he doesn't like. And to talk these people into, in an emotional way, on the floor of the annual meeting, forcing the executive committee to become uninsurable, of course means that all those individuals that he doesn't like are going to have to pay their own legal fees when the trial lawyers come attacking on his bogus allegations for which he has no facts. So it's it's just wicked to the core. And you have people resigning because they they're trying to dodge liability. By the way, they're not going to succeed at dodging that liability. And I didn't resign. Because I was trying to dodge liability for myself, I resigned. Because I'm on multiple for-profit and nonprofit boards, who felt that they were exposed by my presence on that board. So, so he has is caused a a tremendous decimation of the leadership of the Southern Baptist Convention, mostly people that he didn't like to start with. And that was really his aim. And by the way, if trial lawyers manage to score some points or, or force some kind of bogus settlement, so much the better from his point of view. So it, it's, just, it's just so wicked in, in multiple respects. And of course, we know why. You outlined it in the first segment. Russell has been pushing a left-wing agenda from before the day he got in that office. And if he and his friends can co-opt the SBC into pushing a left-wing agenda or just sideline it and get it out of the fight, they're not stupid. They know that 86% of Southern Baptists voted for Republican presidential candidates over the past few years, and if they can stop that from happening, they get their way in the broader culture. This really isn't about the Southern Baptist Convention, as important as that is. We educate a third of the seminary students in America, even though we only have 11% of the churches. This affects way, way more than just the SBC. We have the largest missionary force in evangelical Christendom. That that affects the whole world. So of course this matters from a purely church and gospel perspective, but that's not the game the leftists are really playing. They are trying to, to instigate a, a left-wing takeover of all of our institutions and all of American life. And we see that every day in everything that they're doing. And Russell Moore has been on that team from the beginning, and it's just as plain as day. This is about the broader culture war. This is about promoting candidates like Joe Biden that he's been for from the beginning.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. He said some things about Barack Obama. I wish I could find it quickly, Uh, but he he just gives signals all the time, and yet it's confusing because there are so many Southern Baptists, probably many of them listening to us, Rod, who completely disagree with this. They don't see it that way, and I'd like to go back and make a point a little clearer. It's one thing for us to accuse Russell of wanting to use this letter to do all of these things that uh, undermine the convention to really bankrupt it and really to get people to resign and defame their names. We can say that, but I want to make the point in a different way. John Whitehead, who was the whistleblower, uh, in his story, as I understand it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, he was a trustee for the uh, Ethics of Religious Liberty Commission, and I don't think—was he a critic of Russell's? Or was he kind of uh, like—I don't know, maybe you can't say. Was he a critic of Russell's prior to whistleblowing?
1: I honestly don't know. I, I wasn't I never attended their board meetings. Uh, Russell to my knowledge only allows his board to meet once a year and they meet very briefly and most of the business is done behind closed doors with him and his board chairman. So okay. so th- it, that's not a very transparent organization at all contrary to the to the <laughs> to the governing documents of the Southern Baptist Convention but hey he gets away with whatever he gets away with but, but Whitehead is a Harvard-trained attorney. That whistleblower letter came out on his law firm letterhead with supporting documents, emails between him and the board chairman and, and Russell and various people. And I mean, it's really damning. It's very, very clear from from what Whitehead says and from the supporting documents he provides, which are all now public, that this was entirely set up for a political purpose by Russell, all of this was aimed at defeating his political enemies in the church and promoting his political friends in in America broadly.
0: When we come back, I, I want to talk about that just a, a second more. I want to talk about what John accuse, has accused Russell, uh, and really David Prince by inference to me. He certainly cooperated, and David is the chairman of the uh, Ethics and Religious Liberty uh, Commission board. So, when we come back, we'll flesh that out just a little bit. But then, also, Rod, I want to turn to what's happening now these resignations and the, to the people. And why do you think that SBC is in so much danger? Because you, you did say that in your resignation letter. So, I want to know what you thought, wh- why you said that. This is Sandy Rios. My guest is Rod Martin, founder and CEO of the Martin Organization. We'll be right back. Sandy Rios, in the morning.
1: Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the Morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the Morning on American Family Radio. I
0: find it somewhat uh, outrageous that these kind of claims would be laid at the feet of someone who is himself, I am myself, a survivor of child sexual abuse. But the Southern Baptist Convention was not, and to a large degree, is still not set up today to do the kinds of things that uh, Russell Moore wanted to see us doing. The Southern Baptist Convention only exists two days out of the year. We literally do not even exist as a body uh, when we're not in our annual meeting. And therefore, the idea that the Southern Baptist Convention could literally physically do something to help protect children in more than 47,000 local churches uh, is, uh, is a misleading concept. What we need to be doing is resourcing and equipping those local churches to be safe places for uh, God's children of all ages. That's Pastor Mike Stone. Uh, We interviewed him when he was a candidate for president for uh, the SBC. And again, uh, Russell released this letter right before the convention. You know, burning like burning the all the trails, burning and, and really singeing Mike Stone, accusing him of sexual abuse, which is. And without any kind of evidence, that's the part. It's just these wild accusations. And then manipulating the delegates at the SBC uh, to eliminate attorney-client privilege for all the people on the executive committee, which is just from an attorney's viewpoint. That's that's a disaster. You just don't do that. But the delegates were actually manipulated by uh, by not being able to hear both sides of the story. And they voted to do that. And that's why so many of the trustees and uh, board members have had to resign because they can't, and the, the law firm representing the SBC for about 50 years and their attorney, it's just devastating to the SBC. Now, Russell Moore must be very happy from his little office at Christianity Today in Carroll Stream, Illinois. Uh, but now John Whitehead tried to warn. He wrote uh, David Prince, who was the chairman of the EERLC, E-E-R- uh, and he asked, how's Russell doing? Is he?" This is before the resignation. Is he okay? Is he isolated? Uh, what's you know how, how is he? Is he healthy? And he wrote this long letter of concern and actually complimenting Russell Moore, and uh, David Prince um, wrote sent the letter he, to the rest of the committee per John Whitehead's request because he did he wasn't allowed to contact them personally. And uh, give a disclaimer for the letter. I don't think there's anything to this. And his response was, everything's fine with Russell. His relationship with all the leaders in the SBC is just fine. Nothing to see here. When the truth was that he had written this uh, horrible uh, treatise, damning treatise, uh, already. And kept it until right before the convention. Kind of lay that out a little bit better than I did, Rod, if you can. Just uh, embellish it.
1: Well, he didn't keep it from everybody. He sent it to David Prince. And and uh, as I understand it, to a couple of the other ERLC board officers, so so Prince is either lying or covering up what Russell had told him months earlier. If uh, assuming Russell actually sent the letter in the way that they both say that he did, so again, 21 months after Russell Moore made these uh, allegations of of knowing of rapes and terror threats, and all these criminal actions, more than 21 months later, Russell, a mandatory reporter, still hasn't called the police. There's still not a name attached to any of this. He has still not done the legal duty required of him in his position to actually bring law enforcement into the picture, which leads one to believe if he can't name a name, even privately to law enforcement, there isn't one. You know, it's just not true. It was a political maneuver to achieve a very specific set of ends. And, and of course, he did sit on that letter for another half year after that exchange you just described with David Prince and and John Whitehead. So so this is just bogus at its core. And you you talk about what the convention was manipulated into doing – and they were. The convention had no legal counsel whatsoever on this because the chair of the meeting wouldn't allow it, wouldn't call on people who had anything to say in opposition to the motion. Nobody in that room was against a sex abuse investigation. If somebody's making an allegation about that, of course we want to know, one, is there any? Two, who's doing it if they are? And three, if they aren't, Let's clear the innocent. You know, whatever the outcome, those things we want to know. But the specific lie that it was a best practice to waive attorney-client privilege and thus void our insurance policy. Well, first of all, you're making it nearly impossible to pay victims without pulling missionaries off the field or something horrible. I mean, it, it's, it's the be warm and be filled motion. We're going to know things. but We're not going to be able to help the victims. Uh, second, it's it's a total breach of our fiduciary duties. We aren't cardinals. We aren't bishops. We are stewards of the tithe money people give to do these very specific things. We just sit there very briefly for a, a short period of time in our lives stewarding other people's money to do very specific ministry tasks. And the effect of this was to lie the messengers into a course of action they did not understand the legal ramifications of with horrible potential consequences. And, of course, Russell understood what he was doing. He did it as deliberately as could be. And, you know, if he wants to get mad about that, we can talk about that in Discovery because there's no avoiding the reality of what I just said.
0: Is there any uh, accountability legal for someone doing this, Rod? I mean, is
1: there any well, law that covers this? Uh, it, you're probably speaking above my pay grade there. I think there's going to be some accountability in the Mike Stone lawsuit because, because again, Russell's going to have to answer these questions under oath, and it's going to be a little difficult for him, I think. If he, uh, if he has an answer to these questions, the next question that's going to have to be asked is, why have you not told law enforcement? And that's a criminal matter.
0: Well, you said in your resignation letter, and you hated to resign. I know you did. First of all, you said you're not going away. You're still staying in the fight, but you can't do it on the executive committee because of, the, because of what they did, uh, how they've dismantled attorney-client privilege and all the, the fallout from that. What do you see as the great dangers to the SBC right now that we haven't talked about?
1: Well, you have to understand, I mean, as I said, we educate a third of the seminary students in America. We only have 11% of the churches. We are we are, the education center for clergy for a vast body of Christians beyond ourselves. We have the biggest missionary force in the world. So the first and foremost danger here is if we are being led down the path, we are potentially defunding funding a tremendous amount of gospel ministry over lies. And of course, you know, if, if there really is something here to find, we want to find it. We want to root that out. And everybody was for that. I'm not talking about the investigation itself. I'm talking about the, the, <laughs> the dishonest leading of the EC into doing something suicidal from a legal perspective. That was horribly wrong. So there's that danger. But the, the biggest danger uh, is, is not just the obvious, oh, you lost your insurance. No. The trial lawyers know how to play this game. They just got a bill, $1.9 billion out of the Boy Scouts. The, you know, they've done the tobacco settlement. They've done all these different things. The reason they wanted to get rid of our insurance coverage is to make it easy for the trial lawyers to force a bunch of people on the executive committee to perjure themselves. Because if you have a bunch of bivocational pastors and impoverished staff members having to pay their own legal fees, a hundred thousand here, five hundred thousand there, because the EC no longer has any ability to pay it, they're very easy to compel to sign anything. And a plaintiff's lawyer is going to say, look, we want you to say that the SBC is a hierarchy and we want you to say that the SBC covered up X, Y, and Z. And you're going to sign that under oath right now. And then they're going to take 30 or 40 of those basically sworn confessions to an Obama judge and say, see, they aren't really just an organization that exists for two days a year and all these seminaries are separate from each other and the International Mission Board is separate from the Florida Baptist Children's Home. No, no, no. They were lying all along. They're really like the Catholics and you should be able to take away all of the assets of, again, the Arkansas Baptist Children's Home. And, and your plaintiff should be able to run off with that. That's horribly wrong. It's completely dishonest. And you have covered this before, Sandy. Russell, actually, in my view, committed perjury in an amicus brief in the Will McCraney case back in November, where he, he made a false statement about the hierarchical nature of the SBC. Later, he apologizes for it, and he says, well, I sent him a letter and told him that that part of the brief was wrong. A letter's not a sworn filing. A letter's not in the record. So he's already set up what his trial lawyer friends now want to go do. It is is truly wicked, and it is truly deceitful. And that is a huge danger to the whole
0: thing. You know, I have a lot of uh, friends, people I respect and love, who really like Russell Moore, and we've had lots of lively conversations about this. I think one of the most, if, if there's nothing else, one of the most, uh, in this conversation, one of the most damning things that he did was this whole manipulation of removing attorney-client privilege that put you guys in such a horrible position And the SBC. Then he leaves. He leaves. He does that, and then he leaves. That is insidious. I just, that is just insidious. Why in the world would you do that? Even if you, you, there's just no, there is no excuse for a a so-called brother in Christ to do that because even in his own words, he talks about how, how I could play the clip, but I don't want to. He talks about how the congregations are filled with uh, people who want to hate and then people who don't want to hate. And he loves those that don't want to hate. So uh, at least half of the people, uh, he pretends that he cares about. But he's left them in devastation, too, in terms of churches. So the question is, Rod, what can be done? You know, what, what can people listening, they're Southern Baptists, what can they do? Is there anything that can be done?
1: Realize that we're in an existential fight. We have been lied into a situation that puts the entire thing in danger. This is a, this is a nearly 200-year-old Christian ministry. That has done incalculable good around the world, you say, well, it did bad things along the way, well, so did you. <laughs> Every institution on earth is one hundred percent composed of sinners. duh, the issue isn't what we did in eighteen forty five The issue is what we're doing today and what we've done in between, and you know this is this is an institution that sends missionaries all over the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, trains ministers. You know takes care of widows and orphans does phenomenal amounts of good and we have to save it. And what has to be done, plain as day, is first of all, don't give up the ship and second, take responsibility for it, which is easily done. That's not an impractical thing or a nebulous thing. All the Russell charges are nebulous and have no object. But here's the object. We have to actually participate in the annual meeting we have to go to Anaheim, California in June of 2022, and we have to vote against this awful harm. We have to elect a good president who isn't the subject of a plagiarism scandal, who will actually appoint good people to these places so we can start fixing the disaster. Is it too far gone? I don't believe so. I think there are steps we can proactively take that can avoid the disaster. And by the way, if that disaster includes actual sex abuse cases, that includes rooting them out and getting rid of the wrongdoers. I'm 100% for that, but it absolutely means fixing what we've been lied into. And and if we care about the massive, enormous ministry of Southern Baptists through the ages and for ages to come, we have to go to Anaheim in June of 22.
0: And that means you have to ask—you have to be appointed as a messenger by your pastor, right?
1: Uh, different churches do it differently, but more or less, yes.
0: Okay, so I just wanted people to know that's the practical step. You tell your pastor, hey, I'd like to go to Anaheim and represent, uh, the Southern, uh, represent our church and the Southern Baptist Convention in June of 2022. And uh, that would be the way to make that happen. Rod, um, I'm sure on behalf of people who are Southern Baptists, love the denomination, more importantly, love the Lord Jesus— and want uh, the gospel to be proclaimed without all of this nonsense and all of these hindrances and obstacles, uh, you have been a champion uh, in your position and continue to be. And I just, I personally want to thank you for that. So let's keep in touch and we'll see if we can sort this thing out by informing people. Rod Martin again. Thank you so much. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.